Good morning. Hey, I'm so glad you're here worshiping with us today. And let me tell you, you know, Rocky River Church, we have had a busy summer already. Things have been going great. Two weeks ago, me and Courtney, my wife, and uh, Zach McCarver, a student leader, we took 12 kids to Camp Kid Jam in Greenwood, South Carolina, and we had a blast. It was hot. It was hot. But we had a blast. You know, it's so hot when you not only smell yourself, but you can feel the stink. Yeah, that's how bad it was. But I'm telling you, man, we had a fantastic time. We had a blast. And then last week, we had vacation Bible school. where We had 60 plus kids and 30 some volunteers, you know, come with kids in our community, coming together and just having fun, jumping and screaming for Jesus. We just had a fantastic time. And so we've already started the summer off rocking pretty hard. But the summer's not over yet. Next Saturday is uh, the parade, the 4th of July parade. Y'all like parades? Man, I love 4th of July around here in the Harrisburg area and stuff. And we've got a float in the parade. And if you're interested in wanting to help out with the float, let us know by putting on your connection card, put float. Because either we want to ride on, the, ride on the float or help decorate it. Or we're looking for bulk candy. If you'd like to help you know, by donating bulk candy for the parade, you know, that would be awesome. Let us know about that. Because if you've ever been in the parade, it's like reverse trick-or-treating. Because you sit there, and instead of going to house to house, the floats come by and throw candy at you. So it's, uh, it's fun. And so that's why we're looking for candy with that. And then next Sunday, a week from the day, we're having our fish fry. That is a great time of fellowship and, and fun where we get together and hang out and eat some fish. And that's going to be after the third service. And Pastor Jason mentioned that earlier. If you're interested in being a part of that, you know, let us know by using the form inside your, uh, inside your bulletin. And then on July 5th, I get to defend my belt for the Faster Pastor bus race. And if, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to, um, it's my motto is checkers or wreckers. If I can't get the checkers, I'm going to bring the wreckers, you know. So uh, we're going to have a good time with that. But summer's a, summer's a busy time here at Rock River Church. You know, a lot of people, you know, tend to slow down and, and do that, uh, vacations and stuff. But we want to continue on. We want to get, create environments to where you can get involved and, and get to know other people and stuff. So we've got a lot of things going on over summer. Then we wrap up summer with our Flood Student Ministry Youth Camp in July. So there's a lot of things we're praying for, too, because it's a lot of ministry, a lot of fun but a lot of ministry. So pray for us. You know, pray for the church. Pray for the students. Pray for your peers, your friends, and your families that are here so they'll hear the message of Jesus Christ. And we're also continuing on the Gospel of John series. Uh, the Gospel of John. And uh, you can follow along with your notes today. Uh, inside your bulletin, you can take notes and you know, read and study those throughout. And just to do a quick summary, I know you might, like, oh man, but a quick summary that leads up to this point, because chapter 3, that's where we're at today, it's an important part of our faith, of Christianity, and so we're going to build a foundation on that, but let's take do a quick review. In chapter 1, you know, Jesus was described as being there with God at the beginning of time. John writes about Jesus was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was from God, and so it talks about the creation of time, that Jesus was there. Then it goes along to where John the Baptist, he begins to prepare the way for Jesus and, and making, making the path ready for Jesus to come in and start his ministry. And he, he baptizes him. He said, look, there's a Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then Jesus is baptized. And then Jesus begins, finishes up at chapter 1 of calling his first disciples, uh, the first six disciples. Then, in chapter 2 opens up with Jesus and his disciples going to Cana for, uh, for a wedding. They go there to celebrate. They go there to have a good time. But also it's a place where Jesus does his first miracle with, the, with his first six disciples. 
Then after that, Jesus goes back into Jerusalem. Goes to the temple to worship, and he sees how a temple has been created into a marketplace. And so he gets angry and frustrated at what the people had made the house of God, and so he begins to clean house. And so chapter 2 ends up with that. And so now we get to kick off chapter 3. The cool thing about chapter 3, it opens up with a conversation. A very important conversation, and it explains to us the essence of becoming a Christian. The first 21 verses of chapter of chapter 3, it explains the purpose and the ministry of Jesus. And so during this time of, um, you know, in the New Testament with Jesus here on earth, everyone, all the Jews, were looking for the promised Messiah that was prophesied to them way back in the Old Testament. And they were looking for their Messiah, they were looking for their deliverer to come to deliver them from the Roman Empire. They were wanting an earthly kingdom, and so they were expecting God's kingdom to come down to be a part of this earth. Not just a few people, but all the Jews. Jesus, his mother Mary, was looking for that, for deliverer to be delivered from the Romans. Uh, The disciples thought that. Jesus' friends thought that. And also the religious rulers, the Pharisees, they thought that Jesus, or not necessarily Jesus, but their Messiah would come and deliver them from the Roman Empire. But then Jesus comes. And he starts living this life that is fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament. But then he starts talking about kingdoms, and, and, and people are like, what? Okay, kingdoms? Okay, yeah, we understand this. But then he starts talking about heavenly kingdoms, not earthly kingdoms. And so in this whole process, you know, Jesus starts communicating something different than what the religious leaders were thinking, communicating something than what they had wanted, communicating something different than what the Jews were expecting, because they were expecting an earthly empire. They were expecting to be delivered from the Roman the Roman. A government, but Jesus was teaching and saying these things that were different, and it was appealing to people. And all these people were coming to Jesus and and was listening to Jesus and were just being touched and living a changed life with Jesus. But the religious leaders struggled with what Jesus was saying. The religious leaders questioned; they could not wrap their heads and their minds around with what Jesus was saying and the things that Jesus was teaching. So let's jump into chapter three, starting in verse one. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with them. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How could someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone be born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus. Do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, you speak of what we know, and we testify of what we've seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from, the, came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the man, Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe in Him stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because of their evil deeds. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so it may be seen plainly that they have done has been done in the sight of God. So what we have here, we have Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was a, a religious teacher. He was a Pharisee. He was part of the uh, ruling Jewish council. And so what he, part of his role was to make sure that the Jews obeyed the law. They, he, would, he would go and check up on them and say, hey, you know, uh, you're, you're supposed to be doing this. If you call yourself a Jew, you know, you're supposed to be doing this. And so he was having this, this part of this leadership role, you know, part of the Jewish council. And so Nicodemus was starting to hear these stories of Jesus. And so as we see the Gospel of John unfold, you know, the religious council, these Pharisees, these other religious people were getting upset with Jesus. And so during the day in, very pu- in the very public places, they would confront Jesus and try to entangle Jesus up with these questions. And they would try to point Jesus out that he was wrong. And they would do everything they can to undermine Jesus. Because the Pharisees, they knew all the rules and they were the strict enforcers to the Jewish people of these rules. But the biggest problem was, it's not that these rules were wrong. It was that they lacked the relationship with God to enforce these rules. And so that was their biggest struggle. And so they had all this head knowledge, but they lacked the involvement of the heart. And so they were wanting to enforce this, impose this on everybody. And so Nicodemus is hearing Jesus' teachings and hearing what Jesus is saying and something inside Nicodemus began to strike at his heart and encouraged him to like go and talk to Jesus. But the thing about Nicodemus, you know, he was afraid to do it during the day because that's when all of his peers, all of his buddies would make fun of Jesus. That's when all of his peers and all of his buddies that he worked with and worshipped with in the temple were making fun of Jesus. But there was still something inside of Nicodemus' heart that prompted him to go figure out fact from fiction about Jesus. There was still something in his heart that wanted to look for more. There was still something in his heart that was like, man, there's got to be more than this. And so he goes to Jesus in the cloak of night, in the dark. He could have sent an assistant, but he didn't. He went himself. John 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if you were not with him. So you see, Nicodemus is here beginning to question God. And so what Nicodemus is wanting to do is, is figure out what this kingdom is. You know, with Nicodemus, you know, he was like, man, what is this kingdom? You know, in America, you know, we've got America, we've got, our, we got our, you know, pretty much our, just about our own continent. North America, you know, then we've got Canada. And so Nicodemus' mind was thinking that God's kingdom was going to be like America. It was going to be established. It was going to have an earthly rule, have an earthly place, have um, these, these, uh, these monuments and stuff. And so he's trying to figure this out. Okay, now Jesus, how is this kingdom going to be established? Uh, Jesus, where, where exactly is this kingdom? Uh, Jesus, you know, how, how are you going to start taking over and we're going to rule? 
And so Jesus responds by saying in verse 3, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How could someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time under the mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone to be born of the Spirit. And so here what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is this kingdom is not a kingdom of location. This kingdom is not a kingdom with national monuments. This kingdom is not a kingdom of ethnic origin or, 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 or of people of, the, of a certain race or religion. But this kingdom is a kingdom of the heart. God's kingdom is a kingdom of the heart. God's kingdom is a kingdom of the heart. It's not a kingdom of location. It's not a kingdom that you could drive to and go there. But it's a kingdom of our heart. And so with this, this causes Nicodemus to, to ask more questions. And you know, how can someone be born again? I don't understand. How can they be born again when they're old? I just, I, I just don't understand. And Jesus says that your birth is not a birth. It's not a flesh birth. It's not that you're, you're being reborn. But what it is, is that your mind is made new. The things that you think, you think on different things. You have a new attitude. You have a new spirit. Your life changes with a new mindset. With a new meaning, you become a different person. So just like you don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind, your life is a result of the effect of the Spirit of God living in you. So you are a new person. So Nicodemus is still seeking understanding. He's still trying to, you know, trying to figure this out. You know, this was all new to him. He understood the history of Israel. You know, he understood the law of Moses. He understood what it took to be a Jew and to how to live a Jew. But the problem was he didn't understand the Messiah. He didn't understand what, what Jesus was teaching. He didn't understand you know, this teaching and the life that Jesus was living out in front of him. And so here's what we need to understand. Like with Nicodemus, knowledge of the Bible is not salvation. Knowledge of the Bible is not salvation. Just like attendance to church is not salvation. And so if this was the case, then with all the things that Nicodemus had done by ruling in the church, ruling in the temple, you know, he would have had salvation. But he didn't. You know, he, was, he was very active in the religious community, but he didn't have that relationship with God that Jesus was talking about. You know, and it's like many people in our country today. You come to church, but you don't have a relationship. It's like going to a concert. You go to a concert, but you don't have a relationship with the band members. It's like going to a ball game. You go to a ball game, but you don't have a relationship with the players. And so you treat church much like you do a ball game or a concert. You just come and you don't have a relationship with the person that we're singing about. You don't have a relationship with the person that we're worshiping. You don't have a relationship with the person that we're reading about in the Bible. So your heart is like that of Nicodemus. And so what Jesus was wanting to do was have his kingdom established in our hearts and our lives to take root to change who we are. Then in verse 9, How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? 
Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we've seen, but still people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except one who comes from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. And so here's what Jesus is doing. He's relating the law, the book of Moses, to what Nicodemus, is, what Nicodemus understands and knows. You know, during the Old Testament in the book of Exodus, where, where the Israelites left Egypt and then you know, they wandered the desert for 40 years, there was a point in Exodus where, where they just you know, turned away from God and God was going to you know, punish them. And these snakes came up out of the ground and started biting them. They were vipers that were, that was very poisonous and they would kill them. They would kill the people. And so what God told Moses was, hey, you know, make, make, a, make a staff and then put a, a bronze snake on it and lift it high up in the air. And everyone that looks to that snake, they'll be saved. And so that's what they did. That's what Moses did. And so they, he, he made the bronze snake and put it on the pole and lifted it up. And the people that got bit, they looked at that snake and they were saved. So Nicodemus understood that. Well, then Jesus relates that just like Moses lifted up that snake, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. And everyone that looks at the Son of Man will be saved. And so maybe it started clicking a little bit with Nicodemus. He was understanding a little bit what was, what was going on. And so then with that, Jesus begins to lay out clearly the path to heaven. He begins to lay out the foundation of who we are as Christians. He begins to lay out the faith, you know, the way to heaven that no other religion does. This is the path to heaven. This is the path to heaven through death. This is the path to heaven that offers a hope like Jesus offers. This is the path to heaven. Here it is, John 3:16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Man, I'm telling you, that was the very first scripture passage I memorized as a kid in Sunday school at New Hope Baptist Church in Concord. Miss Shirley, Miss Shirley Kepley, she made sure that me and my brothers, because we were pretty much Sunday school class, me and my brothers, but she made sure that we knew that verse. Because that's the hope of our foundation. That's the hope of our salvation. That's how you get to heaven. There's no other way. No other way. There's not many paths to heaven. In the Bible teaches there's one path. And that's through Jesus Christ. You know, and the problem with our culture today, you know, we, we, we have a lot of weaknesses, but man, the biggest thing that we have is thinking of the here and now. We think about this moment. We live, I call it, in a microwave society. We want everything now. And we do very little thinking about tomorrow or next week or next year. We're just thinking about now and so the problem with that when you're thinking about now you don't think about eternity when you think about now you don't think about life after death when you think about now you don't think of where you'll spend more time at because here on this earth we only have 50 60 70 you know maybe 80 years but on the other side of death we're going to have eternity so it'd be wise of us to think about that right if that's where we want to spend most of our time at. So think about 
life beyond eternity, not thinking about life here and now. And so that's where Nicodemus was falling short. He was feeling that, okay, if we obey these rules, we do this and we do that, then everything is okay. And so, but everything in John chapter 1 and chapter 2 was leading up to this very moment, this very conversation. Everything was pointing to this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, it's all about you. What? Nicodemus, it's all about you. It's not about your knowledge of the church law or the Jewish law. It's not about your attendance to, to, uh, to the temple. It's not about how you enforce the Jewish laws. But Nicodemus, it's all about you. So it's caused Nicodemus to have more questions. But what we need to understand, what Jesus was telling Nicodemus, God's love is all about you. God's love is all about you. It's all about me. And it, what we need to realize is how much that God loves you. How much that God loves me. And it's, it's the, the thing about God's love is that we need to understand this amazingly, extravagantly, God loves you. God desires to be in a relationship with you. But the problem is, too many people think that God hates them. That God is against them. That God wants to destroy their lives. Especially when we see the people who claim to be children of God boycott everything. Boycott the funerals that are going on in Atlanta or in Orlando. Boycott you know, this and boycott that. And so there's people naturally going to think that, oh man, God doesn't love me, God hates me. That God's mad at me. But what we need to do is to communicate that God is mad for you. God desires to be in relationship with you. God loves you. And that's so important for us as Christians to understand. And we want to spend a bulk of our time a little bit here today focusing on this. Because this is who we are as Christians. And I want to make sure that if you call yourself a Christian, that you understand this. That God loves you. If you don't claim to be a Christian and you're still trying to seek out this Christian thing and this church thing, I want you to understand that God loves you. God desires to be in relationship for you. He has a passion for you. So many times this message gets clouded up by the way we live our lives, the, thing that we, the things that we do and the things that we say, that we're not clear communicators of God's love for people. But God loves you. The Bible said that God so loved the world, that God so loved you, so loved me. And the thing is, the Bible says that God is love. It doesn't say that God is hate. It says that He is love. It's His essence. It's who He is. It doesn't say that He has love. It says that God is love. The Bible says that He cares everything for us. You know, and it's hard to explain that kind of love. If you've got kids, you might understand a little bit about this, but... Um, Fridays are, are this, is a staff day off, and so I get to have Michael Dean and Sadie Rose when school's out on Friday while Courtney works. And I look forward to Fridays. And so this past Friday, we went to uh, Chick-fil-A for breakfast, and uh, we were uh, eating our breakfast, and Michael Dean and Sadie Rose, they were talking and uh, getting along. <clears throat> they were sitting on the same side of the booth, and Michael, I mean, Sadie Rose looks up to Michael Dean and says, Bubby, I love you. And Michael Dean says, I love you too. And he hugs him. Oh my gosh, you know as a dad, I'm just like, oh, my heart was full. My heart was complete then. And the same thing is true with God. 
when he sees us, that's the same kind of love that he has for us. But that love is so much more greater. It's hard for us to communicate the love that God has for us when we compare a child and a parent-child relationship. Because God's love is so much bigger than that. And it's hard for us to understand with our minds, our earthly thinking. But God's love is bigger than that of what you may have with a child. In 1 John 4, 9-10 through it says, God showed how much He loved us by sending His only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love. He sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And the thing about God, He didn't say, He didn't just say, I love you. He showed you that He loved you. He showed you that He loved you. He laid out His plan of His love for Jesus coming to earth as an ultimate sacrifice. And so in America, you know, we don't fully understand the sacrifice uh, because it's not part of our culture, it's not part of who we are. But in the Old Testament, the sacrifice was very important to the people, the Jewish people. Because in order to, to, show, to experience God's love, they had to sacrifice the, their best animal, their most choice animal, their most perfect animal. And so they would sacrifice that animal as their commitment, their dedication, their love to God, so that God would forgive them and cleanse them of their sins. And so that's what Nicodemus understood, and that's what Nicodemus was saying. And in the Old Testament, it's man pursuing God. But here, what Jesus was telling Nicodemus is God pursuing man. It's God coming after me. It's God pursuing you to be in relationship with you. And so Nicodemus was under was struggling with this. He was trying to get his mind wrapped around it. He didn't quite understood it because he knew the law of Moses. He knew that in order to be in a relationship with God, you had to do this, this, and this, and this. And he didn't quite understand us that God was pursuing him. And so Nicodemus was you know, trying to make sense of it. And there are times, honestly, that I don't make sense of it. That I don't make sense of it. So I struggle with it sometimes. That God's love for me is that great. That he would lay a plan out for me to have salvation through his, the death of his one and only son, Jesus Christ. And so I had to take the Bible at his word that he is still going to love me. He's going to love me so much that no matter what I say or, or what I do or what I've done or what's been done to me, that he is still going to love me. That he is still going to be in a relationship with me. That's how much he cares for us. That's the love that he laid out for us in his son Jesus. In 1 John 3, verse 1, it says, What incredible quality of love the Father has shown us. Yet we should be permitted to be, called, to be called and counted as children of God. The most amazing thing to me about God, you know, when you look at the creation story in Genesis, you know, everything He spoke into existence. He spoke the light and the darkness into existence. He spoke the, the earth into existence. The separation of the water and the land to existence. You know, the separation of the sky from the land into existence. He spoke the animals into existence. But with you and I, He took time to create us with His hands. We are objects of His love and objects of His affection. He desires to be in relationship with us. That's how great His love is. In Ephesians 3, 18-19, it says, And may you have the power to understand as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, 
and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness and the power that God gives us, or that comes from God. God says, I want you to know that I love you, but I also want you to feel that I love you. You know, there's many people that know that God loves them, but has never experienced the love that God has for us. God's love for us is great. It's long enough to last forever. It's long enough to last forever. Even notice how human love, you know, it wears out. You know, that's why I think we have so many broken marriages, so many broken relationships, so many broken families, so many broken friendships, because our human love wears out, but God's love will never stop. God's love will never stop loving you. It's long enough to last forever. It's deep enough that there's no place that you can go that you'll be without God's love. And there will be times that you feel alone. There will be times that you'll feel that you're by yourself. And there will be times that you just will feel empty. But God says that His love is there. There are problems that seem very deep in your pit that you're stuck in. is very deep and you just need no light at the end of it. But God says that His love is there. I know for me and my family, 2015, it was a tough year. Filled with sadness and grief. And it was a tough year. But I'm telling you that God's love showed up in so many ways. Through your phone calls, through your texts, through your prayers, through mowing my yard, through the meals that you gave for me and my family. Your love showed up in the midst of our and our grief. God showed us our love through you. And I think that's why so many times people don't experience God's love. It's because they're not connected to a church. They're not connected to His body because no one knows who you are and you're not building relationships so that you don't experience God's love. And so I experience God's love because we're connected. That's what God does. You know, he, he wants us to, to understand that He has a love for us. He has a passion for you. And He desires to be in relationship with you. But here's the great thing. It doesn't just stop there. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God sent His Son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. God's love does not condemn us. God's love accepts us as we are. God loved us so much that He didn't send you know, a prophet to die for us. He didn't send a, a great teacher or a good man to die for us or a moral, ethical leader. But He sent His Son to die for us so that we could have a relationship with Him. He didn't send His Son to condemn us, to point out your sins and say, hey, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what, what is bad. And we see that all throughout the Bible with Jesus and, and uh, the woman at the well. And when the religious leaders drug out the woman who was in adultery, Jesus didn't say, hey, stone her. He loved her. And so Jesus desires to be in relationship with us, not to condemn us, but to be in relationship with us. Romans 3, 24, 25, it says, Yet God in His grace... Freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed His life. And here's the thing. This is what makes us different than other religions. Other religions say you must do this 
for this God. You must do this for this God. You must do this and this and this and this and this. You must do, do, do. And then you got to do, do. And then you got to do, do list. And you know what you do with do, do, right? Right? And that's what's different about what Jesus and other religions are. With Jesus, he said, it's already done. I've already done it. All you have to do is look to me. All you have to do is look to me and let my kingdom rule and reign in your heart. In verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but the people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear of their deeds would be exposed. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that may be seen plainly that they have done has been done in the sight of God. You know, as the band comes forward, as we close up, the thing about God is that He doesn't want you to feel like you have to get cleaned up to come to Him. He doesn't want you to start living right, then come to Him. He wants you to come to Him as you are. And what happens sometimes, the church doesn't like that because it's messy. The church as a whole. And so what we do is say, hey, you need to work on this, you need to work on that. And and man begins doing the job of God and the Holy Spirit. Say, hey, that's not right in your life. But what God says is just come. Come to me as you are. Let my light shine in your life. And I'll begin to seek you and, uh, and speak to you. And, and you'll see things that you need to change. And I'll work with you on that. That's what God is telling us. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, the free gift of eternal salvation is offered to everyone. Not just some of us, but to everyone. Then in Colossians 3.11, One's nationality or race or education or social position is unimportant. Such things mean nothing. Whether a person has Christ is what matters. And his equality is available to all. Here's the thing with Nicodemus. His is a great story. Because we see him seeking God. We see him living what he thought was right by the law. But as Nicodemus' life begins to unfold and he watches Jesus, you know, his life begins to change. And then you'll see on in John 7, you know, right before Jesus' crucifixion, that all the other Pharisees are wanting to crucify Jesus. And Nicodemus stands up and says, hey, no, this man's innocent. He's done nothing wrong. But yet he's overruled and they crucify Jesus. And then Jesus is part... Him and another man take Jesus off the cross to go bury him. Nicodemus lived a changed life. His relationship went from the law to a relationship with God. And that's the grace that's offered to us. That's the grace that has been given to us so freely. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about your life. Do you have a relationship with God? 
Because we have to think not just about this moment in life right now. Because we're going to spend a far more time on the other side of death and eternity. What is your relationship with God? Can you say my relationship with God is good? I love God. He's a savior of my life. Or can you say that, man, I just have no relationship with him at all. And if that's you, I want to invite you to explore Jesus. Let his light shine into your life. And have a new birth with a new attitude, a new meaning. And if you would like to invite Jesus into your life, inside your bulletin, Pastor Jason talked about a connection card. Pull that out. Give us your contact information. I want you to put a big B on there. That means believe. And that will let me know to contact you this week. Not to harass you, but I want to give you some resources. And I want to pray for you. The staff, we will pray for you. We have other people that will pray for you. That God's word will begin to take root. His kingdom will begin to take root in your life. Let's stand. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for the love that you have for us. That you desire to be in relationship with me. That you are pursuing me. God, I pray if there's someone in here that's forgotten about your love, that you're passionate for us, that they'll be reminded about that. And that you will renew that love that they that they had for you a long time ago. And I also pray that you'll help us be better communicators of your love and grace to those around us. But God, I also want to pray for, for the, the person that does not know you and they're still seeking you and they're still trying to figure this out. I pray that you will make yourself known to them. You told Isaiah in the book of, in the Old Testament that if he looked after you, if he came after you, you would make yourself known. And so I pray that you'd make yourself known to everyone who seeks after you. And I thank you for the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.